Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is Ryan Holiday, a media strategist and writer on strategy and business, also the author of Trust Me, I'm Lying. I'm uh, almost certain I had Ryan on when, when that book came out and he's got a new book, so. uh, new book uh, called The Obstacle is the Way, The Timeless Art of Turning Trials into Triumph. So welcome back. Thanks for having me. It's, good to, it's always good to be here. So I'm guessing that, you, you know, I, I get this question all the time. People say, well, gosh, I want to write a book, but, you know, how long did it take you to write a book? And, and my first book, uh, when it came out, I, I literally said, well, 25 years <laughs> or so, because uh, it was really the distillation of all the work I had done uh, to that point. And I'm kind of guessing that in a way, just because I know you personally uh, and some of your interests, I'm kind of guessing in a way this book is that for you. Yeah, it was probably eight years of research and about three months of writing. Yeah. I mean, because I know it's something, so, some of the characters that show up in this book and uh, the work you did with Robert Greene uh, really, uh, I think, uh, kind of pointed the way towards this book, didn't it? Yeah, totally. It, it's, you know, you the idea, I think the idea is easier with the book. It's finding all the things that you're going to put in it. And sometimes that's not a process that you can just distill down into, I'm going to go research for a book. It's It's something you have to accumulate over you know, a life and a real experience. Well, what's interesting um, is I've written now my fourth book, and one of the things that I'm seeing happen maybe with each progressing book, and maybe it's because of the window of time to write it seems to be shrinking, um, is that uh, that the book evolves through the process. No matter how fast I write the book, it's it's never the book that, that I just put on paper in that first outline. Yeah, no, I definitely think an idea evolves and improves. However... What I, I think I do caution people against hearing that and hearing the wrong thing in that. Like I, I know authors that sort of sit down and then they go like, I'm going to just let this idea take me where it takes me. Right, right, and that, right. that can be a recipe for going down a lot of very costly dead ends. Yeah. You know, like I'm, I'm a big proponent of sort of sketching out every part of the book and knowing what I'm going to say. Obviously, there's room for improvis improvisation along the way, but I think it's it's you have an idea a, a firm idea of what the book is and then it it grows from there rather than you have no idea what the book is going to be and you just make it up as you go along yeah and i and i and i guess i mean i totally agree with that and i guess that's one of those things that it's almost a skill that you start to learn as you do these and i think you have more ability to say nope this is my framework but i yep. learned but i learned something here <laughs> um and i'm going to add that to it and and that's the part that's that's kind of fun and i suppose books would get really boring if you didn't learn anything when you were writing them yeah yeah uh, there's this great quote from george orwell where he says like writing a book is such a miserable process that if, if you're not driven by some some demon to to finish it you're never going to yeah. and so i think it's like you've got to have something that you want to say that you're very excited about and then um, that has to propel you through all the difficulties and all the all the the dead ends and the trials and the the problems and then what comes out you're obviously very happy with although it's it's not necessarily the most fun thing to do while you're doing it well and i didn't uh, didn't intend this to become a talk about uh, books and authors but i know i know that <laughs> i know i have a lot of listeners as do you that that are interested in books and and writing books and uh, it's it's interesting as i listen to you describe that I, and think about all the people out there that are that are trying to write a book because they think it's a they think it would be a good marketing piece and and i think as you said Certainly, there's value in that, but but boy, it's a lot of work unless you uh, unless you have an idea worth saying. 
yeah, it's a lot of work. And then I think, as you've talked about on, on your stuff many times, just having the good idea isn't enough. Then you've got to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm two months into the marketing for this book. <laughs> right, uh, right. And, and like, if you're not out there hustling and selling the, the hell out of it, it doesn't matter how good it is or how good a marketing tool it is. You've got to get it out there in front of people. That's your job too. Yeah. And, and of course you're not going to do that with the, the, the passion that you need unless you really think it's a good book. Exactly. I mean, I know that's my, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to claim that any of my books that I believe not, any of my books are not good books, but, but I certainly know that uh, if I didn't have a sense that, Hey, this, this helps people and this sol you know, this is part of the mission that I'm on. And, and, and that really kind of make, that makes you do the, that allows you to do the 6 a.m. radio spot and the 7 p.m. radio spot in the same uh, course of the same day. Right. <laughs> Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, um, why is this uh, why is this book important now? And, and again, you you are um, what 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 uh, what generation do we put you in? Are you a millennial, or did did you, are you screw, you're still a millennial? I couldn't decide if you were right on the border of it. But uh, so, uh, do, do millennials need to hear this message? Because some of the things, obviously, you go back and you quote people from Roman history. So some of these concepts are not brand new. Uh, so I think a lot of the value that you're bringing is making them relevant for a new generation. Is that an, an accurate statement? Yeah, so so the the book is based on Stoicism, which was a Greek and Roman philosophy, um, and obviously it's it's an ancient philosophy that's that, that has always had practitioners and followers for the last you know thousands of years. However, I do feel like one, it's it's particularly apt for for millennials who sort of lack a framework or a set of beliefs to help them deal with the difficulties of life. But I do also feel that you see Stoicism have a resurgence in history in difficult times when people are increasingly responsible for themselves. So the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, the Renaissance, the American Revolution, the Civil War, things like that, when, when the sort of structures and institutions of society are weakened or having problems and people have to become self-reliant. You know? And I think that is an increasingly relevant or necessary skills to have in, in 2014. That's part, partly why I wrote the book. Well, and one of the things that uh, there are many, many stories in your book and stories throughout uh, uh, history, particularly in business in general, where people uh, didn't really perform at their greatest until their back was against the wall. You know, that, that down yeah. and out, I was down to my last penny, and that's when I decided I'm, you know, I'm just going to do this come hell or high water. And it's interesting how I, I'm, I wonder if that to some degree suggests that you almost have to have that demon or that obstacle before, I mean, if, if everything's just okay, uh, maybe you don't get pushed enough. Yeah, well, look, uh, I think obstacles are always a chance for us to do our best work. We don't really have a choice, right? They they bring out the best in us in that we have to struggle and try and work harder than we might otherwise be inclined to do. But I also think that, you know, they, they bring out this sort of creativity and resourcefulness and ingenuity in us. Um, and maybe maybe we've gotten a little soft, right? When, you know, when when you and I are Skyping together, we're not even in the same state. It's pretty crazy how, you know, quickly we can internalize a world where everything goes exactly how we want it to go and everything's seamless and easy and instantaneous. Of course, you know, life can get a lot more complicated than that. 
Yeah, and and I think that one of the things that's interesting is people that have a true entrepreneurial mindset. Because a lot of what you talk about in this book is saying is, I mean, to some degree, is to say, hey, suck it up. You know, sure. <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's definitely that message. Like, stop blaming everybody else for your problems. Um, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs, ones that that overcome, ones that certainly succeed, I don't think they focus on obstacles that much as a as a I mean, obviously they have them, um, but I think that the mindset, I, I, I attribute this quote to my father all the time. I, he, he probably got it from somewhere else, but uh, his, anytime some, something would happen, we'd go, oh, now what do we do? It's like, you know, fix the, uh, fix the problem, not the blame. Uh, instead right. of sitting around talking about whose fault it was, you know, let's figure out the solution. And I think that's a mindset that seems to be sort of inherent with a lot of entrepreneurs. Yeah, sure. Look, what, what the Stoics say is that it doesn't matter why something is the way that it is or how long it's been that way. What matters is that you are trying to do something about it. And if you focus on that, like the Stoics are about making the distinction between the things that are inside our control and the things that are outside our control. And our responses to external events are inside our control, you know, and right. externals are not. And I think as a society, you know, where everyone's a blogger, everyone's a writer, we're watching 24-7 news, you know, we've got Twitter, we've got all this stuff. We're, it's so easy to get caught up in the explanation of things that you kind of, you can be forgiven for thinking that doing something about it is someone else's problem. I, uh, and, and actually, you might remember this because you uh, um, responded on Twitter, but I, I was rereading uh, Man's Search for Meaning uh, again yep. the other day, and uh, I, I've read that and this is so fun about going back and reading a book and you, and then all of a sudden like something hits you and you're like, I've read that 10 times. Why, you know, why did it hit me now? But, uh, the, the quote was basically, and I'm going to mess it up, but, but, you know, obviously Victor Frankl, people probably know the, the, the book, you know, was in concentration camp, probably the worst obstacle a person could have ever endured. Um, and, and wrote this book about, you know, how he survived that. And a lot of it had to do with making a choice in that, in that moment, you know, when something happened and when you reacted to it um, and that that little space in there was was where freedom came. And I just I've known that forever. Obviously, I, I try to I try to believe in and act that way. Uh, but that's just such a powerful thought. Yeah, it, it's really interesting. You know, his Victor Frankl, one, I think what's so amazing about this man is he gets sent to a concentration camp and obviously it's terrible and he loses his family. But the benefit, he, he, what he sees in it is this: is that there's this good, and that he's being able to test his theories in real life, right? That's yeah. what how he tells him. That's how he finds meaning in this suffering, which is something he says it's very crucial to the human experience. Because suffering, it, it feels depressing to say this, but there's going to be suffering in life, and what's important is that you find meaning in that suffering rather than feeling resentful or hurt by it. But he, the therapy he invents coming out of Auschwitz is is this therapy known as logotherapy, and the Greek word logos, which he gets that from, is is from Marcus Aurelius and from the Stoics. It, it the logos is is the Stoic concept of of fate, and so there's this connect. Like what what motivated me to write this book was this sort of thread through history. It's like you've got the Stoics and and what they're creating is trickling down through all sorts of difficult situations over the last 2000 years and it's helping people. And I think what you take from that is like, okay, if stoicism can help this man in multi, like he's, I think he was in three different concentration camps. If it can help Victor Frankl, it can help me when 
you know, my website goes down yeah, or right, I have right. a busy travel schedule and I feel a little bit put out by it. Well, and, and I think even uh, even more practical than that. I mean, how many times are you driving down the road and somebody cuts you off, right? And so you right. have, that's this really silly thing. But you ha- in that moment when that person flips you off and honks at you, uh, that you have the decision whether or not you want to buy into that and, and become part of it or just kind of go, oh, I guess that guy was having a bad day. Right. <laughs> and, and, exactly. and that's how you can pra- – I, I think that's that's actually a, a very simple way to practice uh, what, what you're talking about, I think, because it happens to everybody every day. Yeah, look, that, and that's what stoicism is about. It's about understanding that we don't control whether someone cuts us off and flips us off, but we do control how we choose to respond to that situation. Yep. And sometimes we're going to make the wrong choice, and, that, and we have to understand that when we make that wrong choice, it's not a sin or something. It's just made us less happy yeah. than we need to be, and it's wasted a few moments of our life. And we should catch ourselves in that moment and say, okay, next time I'm going to do it differently. And there's a, another concept. I don't know where we're going with this, uh, but but there's another concept that I really um, certainly comes out of a lot of Eastern religions. But this idea of witnessing your thoughts, uh, and I think that that's really what that's the first thing. It's it's like you have to admit there's a problem. I mean, that's the first thing is you have to sure. start you have to start catching yourself going, "Wow, I'm like all tight and tense now because of this, and it's physically affecting me. And why am I doing that?" Uh, and, and I think that's that's when people start doing that. That's when you can start doing something about it. Yeah, well, look, stoicism is 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 linked with the foundation of of cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT, and and what they're saying there is that like we tend to behave in patterns. Our mind works in patterns, and we can recognize those patterns and then say, "Hey, is this a pattern I want to continue doing? Is it a is it a constructive pattern or a destructive pattern?" And then make that choice about how we want to be going forward. Well, and and you talk about um, uh, in I think it's a I'm looking at my notes here. If this is a person or if this is a practice, but uh, apathia. Um, yeah, apathia. Apathia. Sorry, um, and and I think that really gets at that right where you're not ruled <laughs> by yeah. your, your urges anymore. Uh, they they actually are choices as opposed to just being reactions. Yeah, the Stoics would say. You know, you don't want to be controlled by your passions. And that's not to say that passion is bad. And they don't mean passion sort of in the modern sense. They just mean like, are you someone who's just being jerked, you know, to and fro by emotions? You're feeling amazing and that nothing can ever take you down. And then two days later, you feel like you're worthless uh, because, you know, something bad happened. And it's about sort of keeping that even keel because that's what you need, especially as an entrepreneur. You're going to do awesome. And then the next day you're going to do terrible and you can't let either of those change how you see yourself and what you have to do. Yeah, I think that's a really great point because I think a lot of people uh, have that sort of built-in ability to go, oh, we had a crappy day and they you know, feel that. Um, but I think that, that, that you know, then they have, that, as you say, that next high day um, and that, you know, that, that actually has a tendency for them to say, oh, I can take the week off now. <laughs> right. uh, and, and I think you're right. It has to be neither of those is good or bad. Uh, they're just part of the deal. Yeah, you you can't be you can't let these external events change how you see yourself and what you have to do. You've got to you've got to have that what the Stokes call sort of an inner citadel of of strength and and you know self awareness and things like that. And it's all obviously all this is easier said than done. But I sure. you know I wanted to write the book to sort of create a framework and a set of exercises that help you sort of cultivate that. So. 
one of the things that people might take from your writing, you know, especially if they just stop at the title, um, is, I mean, do you need a demon? I mean, are you, are you not going to ever fulfill your uh, whatever it is that you want to fulfill in life uh, unless you have something that you have to overcome? Um, no, I don't think so. So I, I have, I think one of the problems is people think adversity is like this terrible thing that happens to you when you're younger, like you're born into poverty or you're, you're an orphan or whatever. And then adversity stops, you know, I see adversity as something that happens every day. And adversity is the difference between how we'd like things to be and then how they actually are, right? Yeah. And we, you know, Murphy's law is adversity, you know? So I see, like, I, one of the studies I talk about in the book is this concept where they look at athletes who, who underwent some sort of traumatic injury and then, uh, you know, a year later, where are they? Most of them are in a much better place. Hmm. That doesn't mean you should go blow out your knee on purpose, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. that's ridiculous. But you should take the things that do happen to you and the framework in this book, this sort of obstacles the way philosophy allows you to make the most of whatever happens to you. So you don't need to go seeking out bad things because plenty of things are going to happen uh, along the way anyway. Well, is there another way to look at that then is to say, hey, uh, don't, you know, don't sit still. I mean, uh, the, part sure. of the part of the obstacle might be to say, okay, go try something that you're a little afraid to do. Uh, that that will be new for you that that you might fail at that that maybe that's part of what people have to do is start putting themselves out there in that way. Yeah, well, look, it's funny. I think we all know that we've learned. Like, we all look at the failures that have happened in our life, and we understand that we've learned from them and been better from them. And yet, we try to avoid failing as much as we possibly can. Um, and and so that's not to say you should try to fail on purpose, but you should do things and increase your exposure to the potential for failure. Yeah. Um, and that means taking action and taking risks. Right. Because that's where not only growth is, that's, of course, where uh, exceptional growth is. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And maybe you won't fail and you'll just succeed endlessly, and that's probably good, too. So there's a couple concepts, um, and, and they uh, like all good books, there's sort of uh, dynamic tension, I think, between the concepts that I want to talk about. Um, yeah. and, and you talk about action versus right action. I think, I think that's a challenge for a lot of people uh, based on what we were even just talking about, is a lot of people feel like busy uh, means they're doing stuff. Um, and, sure. and, and, you know, how do you, how do you find right action? Uh, I, I, think, I think there are a lot of sure. ways, but I'd, like, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on how do you pursue right action. Well, look, it, I think it's, it, it's like don't throw yourself against a brick wall because you're probably going to break before the, the wall, wall does, you know? Yep. Um, so it's, it's about one, one of my favorite sort of examples in the book is B.H. Um, Liddell Hart, who's one of the greatest military strategists who ever lived. He was, he was studying some of the – he studied like you know, 500 military conflicts over history, and he, was, he found something like 2% of them, 2% of the victories ever, major victories ever, were ever accounted for by two armies attacking head on with each other. Yeah. It's almost always some sort of deception or an outflanking maneuver or um, you know a, a bold a, a bold surprise. It, it's it's always something like that 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 creates the the explosive uh, you know stunning victories that end a, end a war or a conflict. And yet, in our own lives, we try to attack everything head on. We don't think about how to go creatively or around or through a back door. 
And so like, that's what I, that's one of the things I talk about in the book is sort of how pragmatism and ingenuity and sort of seizing the offensive are critical components to overcoming obstacles because it's not about brute force. It, it rarely ever is. Yeah. Yeah. Those usually end up in a draw or, or a stalemate of some sort. (laughs) Um, yeah, they can, Oh, I was just going to go to an- another um, uh, concept that I think is uh, so important. Um, I, in my last book, uh, Duct Tape Selling, one of the, the the way I start the book actually is to talk about how you know the first mindset shift is you have to change the context of what a salesperson even is or is perceived as by sure. by the buyer. That that's really uh, to me that's one of the ways. Uh, frankly, that's how you that's how you compete with a product or a service. I mean, you change the concept, the context of how a person even thinks about it. And, uh, and I think that that's true for so many elements in life. And, and, and you, I think talk about this idea of perspective and context and framing, um, as really a, a, one of the, the, in my opinion, one of the key tools, uh, for, for this entire, um, philosophy. Yeah, totally. Don't compete with everyone else where they're competing. Find it. Find a new, a sort of a new lane, and carve that out for yourself. Another big um, concept in this book is persistence. So, when and how do you determine when persistence is just insanity? Sure, sure. Um, I, obviously, I think these are sort of things that you take as a on a case by case basis, and you need that sort of tells you what to do where but yeah. um you know i i talk about the ulysses s grant and sort of the 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 capture of, of, of vicksburg and i talk about edison like people people think that like you know the 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 sort of invention of the light bulb or whatever was this flash of inspiration but what edison says is it's a flash of inspiration and then difficulties arise and then that's when things get tough like he tested something like six thousand different filaments until he found the one that ultimately worked long enough for the light bulb to be a viable idea. And so I think persistence is that it persistence is the, is the concept that you've got to wrap your head around, especially when you're young and you don't have a a track record of creative success under your belt can be very seductive to think that the people that you want to be like got where they were in a, in a flash of inspiration or ingenuity. And in fact, that was only the beginning of, their road to success. Yeah, the twenty-five year overnight success. Exactly. Uh, so uh, I'll, I'll toss you up a softball here. So, do people in your generation need to change their expectations? You there? Yeah, I'm sorry. Did I, we we cut out for a second. So I, I said I was tossing you a, a softball, uh, or or maybe not. But uh, do do people in your generation need to change their expectations? Yeah, of course. Of course. I think, you know, my generation was sold a certain, you know, explanation of the world that was if you went to this college, if you did this well in high school, you got your SATs, you went to this college, you would magically get the job of your dreams the second you left school. And of course, that's not exactly how it works, especially for a generation that graduated into the financial crisis, you know. So, So, So what you're really saying, Ryan, is that it's the baby boomers fault. I am. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> no, I, look, I think it's never been like that's the one of the things I talk about in the book. Like every generation has had it very tough. Yep. It only looks easy in retrospect. Like, that's right. When you look at some of the like, I think something like half the companies in the Fortune 500 were started in a recession or a bull mar- or a bear market at, at, at their time of, of creation. 
So it's like, look, everyone starts from a disadvantaged position. So stop arguing about it. Just accept where you are and deal with it. And, you know, like when Disney, like I think the end of Disney's first year was the market crash of 1929 or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Disney wasn't thinking like, oh, this is the worst market crash that's ever happened, blah, blah. They were just a company that was existing that was doing their own thing and they were focused on making cartoons to, to care that much about these larger economic issues. And that's what you've got to, you know, when I sit down to write, I don't think about, you know, global warming. I think about the fact that I've got a deadline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, let's end on uh, one of my favorite uh, ideas, and that's the idea of process and practice and, and system and and showing yeah. up and doing it again. And, and I think that uh, certainly that's a, a strong message in this uh, philosophy or, or certainly in your book is that, that, that you have to create this process and then work the process. Yeah, look, uh, you know, I talk about Nick Saban, the, the coach of University of Alabama. It's, it's not, it's, you don't win championships by thinking about the trophy all the time. You do it by finishing the immediate task in front of you. And it's about the process. It's about finishing reps. It's about finishing downs, finishing film sessions. You know, it's finishing drives. How do you do that? And, uh, you know, it can be very easy to sort of keep your eye on the prize, but that's how you make mistakes and that's how you mess up the process along the way. Well, and I think as a business owner, I mean, a lot of times uh, they get very overwhelmed by uh, all of the things that they have to do. Now I'm telling yep. them they have to produce content and they have to be on social networks and, you know, how do I get it all done? And, and you're right. It's, well, you write one blog post today and then you come tomorrow and write another one. And then right. another, in the end of six months, look what you've got. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So, Well, Ryan, it's always great to catch up with you. The Obstacle is the Way, the Timeless Art of Turning Trials into Triumph. It is a, um, I, I would, I, I hesitate, it's a smallish book. I hesitate to say it's a quick read because it's, uh, you know, every page has got some some pretty meaty stuff. And it's one of those books that, that um, you, you come away and think, okay, now I've got 15 other books I want to go read because <laughs> of it, um, which I know is is partly partly your intention, <laughs> um, but uh, but really great book. And, and and I'm, I couldn't be more pleased that uh, that you're doing so well with it. All right. Well, thank you. All right. Take care. All right. Bye.